Good morning, church. The reading is taken from John chapter 5, verses 1 to 24. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and, in, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you Sorry, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks, Elizabeth, for reading. If you don't have the passage um, with you, um, could I ask that you get one? Um, I'm, we just read uh, verses 1 through 24, but I'll be actually preaching from um, the entire chapter. Um, so the texts are printed at the back if you'd like uh, to get one, or you can take out your phones or something and go through it. But um, we'll go through the entire chapter together. But as we do that, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it gives life to us, that it opens blind eyes, it heals hearts, not just for now, but for eternity. And Lord, we pray now that your word will come and speak to us, that your word help us to see the greatness of Jesus, that we might fall in worship in awe of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it was about, I think I was nine, in ninth grade. Uh, back in those days, I, would go, I went back and forth in yellow, big yellow school bus in the U.S. But as I was coming back, um, you know, when I got on the bus at the end of the school day, um, I noticed a stink in the bus. It just really stank. And after some investigation or thinking, I concluded that it was that somebody stepped on dog poo. <laughs> and so I out loud said to the entire bus, Ew, it smells. Somebody stepped on dog poo. And then I went around, started to check each person's shoe. Check your shoe, check your shoe. But as I started to move around and go around, I felt something slightly gummy and slippery in, on my foot. And I was that man. I stepped on dog poo. I was stinking up the entire bus, accusing everybody else of this misdeed. And that shame of that experience, you know, has become, become part of my core memories. But now it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's serving a purpose as a sermon illustration. Because it's not just me. I mean, that is... All of us, uh, the, the, we all are uh, ones who are constantly judging others. We're on the judgment seat looking down on others. We look even down on God. And yet, we're the ones who are sinners. <laughs> we're the ones who are not, we're not fit to judge God and judge others like this. We are the ones who need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. We're the ones who need to be cleaned. And yet, we act like judges over the entire world. And once again, like over, over God. But thankfully, our passage tells us that we're not the judge. That we have a righteous and holy and perfect, gracious judge. That Jesus is. And that he will judge us mercifully through him. After the chapter 4, Samaritan woman, woman at the well story that Rhoda preached from, there are two healing stories. At the end of chapter 4, there's a healing story of a healing of a son of a royal official. And one day, if you have your Bibles out, you can look at chapter 4, verse 53. Uh, you know, when they checked the time exactly when this person was healed, they found that it was the time that Jesus said to him, your son will live. At that exact moment, this man, this son was healed. And look how the story concludes. It says, a story ends with the whole household coming to faith, to believe in Jesus. And that's how usually healing stories end. The problem is the sickness. And Jesus notices the problem. He solves the problem. And people come to worship Jesus, to believe in Jesus. Chapter 5, 
our story is another healing story, but it's not a healing story. There is a healing in it, but it's actually a trial. It's a trial story. Uh, In fact, healing just sets up the problem, sets up the crime. We're told in the beginning of the chapter that there is a pool um, by the sheep gate called Bethesda. You, you can actually go. This was uh, for a long time. People didn't know where this was, and they, the, people thought this was a made-up story. Uh, in 19th century, this pool was discovered with the distinctive five colonnades. Um, you can actually go there uh, now in Jerusalem. And there, this man who was paralyzed for 38 years was sitting by the pool because of the legend, because of the hope that the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the pool. And and, and the the legend was that whoever jumps into the pool would be healed. So he was sitting there for 38 years. When Jesus sees the man, he knows, and he takes pity on him. Take a look at verse 8. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And he did. He walks. And in a normal healing story, this is where the story would end. But ominously, in verse 9, this little detail is added. Now that day was the Sabbath. You see, this isn't a healing story, not a typical one. It's a trial and it's just beginning. And when the man is healed and he obeys and takes up the mat and walks uh, the, the, the Jewish leaders see him. I, think about this. They knew who he was. I mean, he was there every day, uh, 38 years. But what do they say when they see this man? They don't see the strength and vigor of his newfound leg. He doesn't, they don't see anything. They, they, what they see is a man breaking the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath day. You can't carry around your mat like that. Isn't that remarkable? They don't see God's miracle, God's power at work. All they see is a lawbreaker in, the, in him. It's like if Mary came home, you know, and she like maybe uh, dyed her hair blonde or something. Oh, do you notice something different about me? And I think, oh, did you, are you using a different moisturizer <laughs> or something like this? I mean, it, it, they completely missed the point of what just happened. So Jesus... Oh, so they, verse 16, began to persecute him because Jesus ordered this man to, uh, because Jesus was working on Sabbath. So in verse 17, Jesus defends himself. So he tells them that he's only working like his father God is working, who never rests. This, of course, makes things much worse. In fact, so much worse. Um, that not only do they not not want to just persecute him, they want to kill him. Verse 18. You see, this was the trial, a trial. Jewish authorities are the judges. Jesus is in the dock, and they find Jesus guilty. Not just guilty of some little offense, but guilty of a capital offense. Because they recognize what Jesus was saying, that Jesus was equal to God. Of course, we are to see how absurd this whole situation is, right? Everyone in the story looks, out, looks terrible. They, they come out terribly guilty. Take the man who was healed. Uh, just think about this man. He seems ungrateful at best. Uh, he seems ungrateful at best. Uh, when he was first healed, he made no effort to find Jesus. When this Jewish authority come and ask, you know, who is this man? He has no idea. 
And later on, when Jesus finds him in the temple, approaches him and says, you know, sin, don't sin anymore. Something worse might, might happen to you. Do you know what he does? Does he fall in worship of Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, I really want to find out more about you and how you are doing this. What does he do? Verse 15, he goes to the Jewish authorities to tell them about Jesus. And he's the man who made me walk. He's the man who told me to carry around this mat. He tattletales. He throws Jesus under the bus. Friends, I wonder if this is a picture of some of us. You know, God is gracious to us, isn't he? God has created the world. He sustains it. He redeems it. He, and he, 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 he loves us. He gives us every breath uh, that we have. And yet, most of us, most of the world, live in utter disregard to their creator, sustainer, redeemer, and judge. They do not go out and, and find out more about this God. They have an inkling of an idea that actually God must have created this world. There is something in them. And yet, so many people do not even go out and investigate who this God is. I wonder if that is some of us here today. And then there are the Jewish leaders. They completely, they're, completely blind, they're completely blinded by their self-righteousness. They can't see the miracles miracle because they're so focused and self-absorbed in the rules that they keep how well they keep the rules they try to keep the rules as perfectly as possible so when they see jesus that's the only way they see jesus they see a lawbreaker so when jesus speaks they only see a blasphemer john of course wrote of this in chapter 3 This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People loved darkness because their deeds were evil, and they do not turn to the light. And this is the thing. Often we do not think of self-righteousness, us trying really hard to keep the rules as a sin that we need to repent of, as evil that we need to reject. But it is. Self-righteousness makes us insufferable. It makes, a, it makes us a people who look down on others. Who be, we, it makes us people who judge everyone else, including God, on how well people keep these rules. It makes us miss the most important thing about the law, which is to love God and love our neighbors, to interpret the world through God's love. That's what it makes us miss. It's something that we do need to reject and see as evil in us, it makes us smug, and it makes us feel superior to others. Friends, do we need to repent of self-righteousness, of how well we kept the law, how well we tried to do God's will, and then we start looking down on others? Well, whether it's outright sin or self-righteousness that creeps into our life, What we are seeing, what John is saying is none of us, none of us are, should be judges. None of us should be sitting on the judgment seat like this because we are not judges. We are in the dark. We are the guilty ones. And Jesus tells us that he is 
the judge. That there is a judge and it is him. And to the charge that, to the charge of breaking the Sabbath law. That was the charge. Um, uh, to that charge, Jesus could have simply pointed out that actually he wasn't breaking any law. And we went through the Ten Commandments series, right? The fourth command about the Sabbath law, you know, it said do not work. But it didn't say actually what work was. It was the people. It was the Jewish leaders. It was the tradition that defined what work was. It was the Jewish leaders that defined whether you could cook or not, and whether you could carry things or not, whether how far you could walk on a Sabbath day or not. It was all Jewish leaders who made up those rules. It wasn't God's rules. And God could have, Jesus could have defended himself uh, that way. Well, it's not in the Bible. But actually, that's not how Jesus defends himself. Look how he defends himself in verse 17. My father... My father is always at work, at his work to this very day, verse 17. So I too am working. Some people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. I don't know. I mean, if you read the Bible, that's not a conclusion that you can make. You know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, I am not like you. I am like my God, the Father. I am like God, is what he's saying. And the Jewish leaders exactly understand Jesus that way, that he's claiming equality with God, which is why they decide to kill Jesus, verse 18. So far, uh, Jewish leaders have been judging Jesus. But you see, another trial is beginning. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You are not fit to be judges because there is a judge, and that is me. And this trial is beginning. To those who condemned him to death, Jesus says, No, I have, you do not have authority over life and death. I do. I have authority over life and death. Take a look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Do you want to kill me? You do not have the authority. That is in God's department, God the Father, and that authority has been delegated to me. I command life and death. I will raise people up. I have the authority over life and death, which also means that Jesus is claiming to be the ultimate, the final judge. Verse 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And if you have your Bibles, take a look at verse 28. Jesus says, at the judgment day, he will call, he, the voice of the, at the voice of the Son, the whole world will awaken to face their judgment. At his voice, he will call people out of the grave, and he will judge everyone. Verse 27, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. The Son of Man who will come at the end of history. The one like the Son of Man who will have the, 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 um, the book of life open. Who will judge the world. He's saying that about himself. And Jesus says, don't just take my word for it. I have witnesses. And that's the next section in verses 33, in the section that we didn't read, but we'll go through. Verse 33 
and on, Jesus claims John the Baptist as a witness. Because they knew, Jesus knew that they respected John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was thought to be the Messiah. Many Jewish leaders came to John the Baptist and asked him multiple times, are you the Messiah? People in droves went to the desert to be baptized by John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, he speaks, he, he testifies to this truth. Because remember when the, what, what John the Baptist said about me. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, sin of the world. He must increase and I must decrease. I do not even have the authority to untie the, 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 uh, the, his sandal. Uh, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. These are the things that Jesus, uh, John the Baptist said. Believe him if you respect him. He also calls his miracles as a witness. His works, verse 36, they are the signs of who I am. If you don't believe me, won't you believe in the miracles? Can't you see what I have done? Can't you see the miracles I am doing? And once again, in John's gospel, these miracles are called signs. Signs that point to Jesus' identity. They testify to who I am. And Jesus then reminds the uh, Jewish leaders that this is God's way of confirming who he is. Believe in God the Father who has given me these authorities. They, um, these are extraordinary uh, miracles. Won't you believe in them? And finally, verse 39. Won't you believe in the scriptures, the testimony, the witness of the scriptures. You think there is life, eternal life in the Bible. But Jesus says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. The great reformer Martin Luther said the Old Testament is a manger, a cradle of Christ, of Jesus. The Old Testament points to the need of Jesus, to the identity of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. If we read the Old Testament rightly, we should see Jesus. We should see it leading to Christ. If you believe in the scriptures like you claim, Jesus says, you would believe in me because they testify about me. So, In this section, I think there are two uh, important conclusions here. One, uh, Christianity, in the end, is, about, is not about being a decent person. For a long time, right, in Christendom, like in, um, say, England, or, you know, 40, 50 years ago, if you thought, well, what, what, if, you, if you ask people, what does it mean to be a Christian? They would have said, well, becoming a decent person, doing the right things, trying our best. No, no, no. That is not what Christianity is all about. It's not even really at the end about what Jesus taught about the way of life. I mean, it is that, but it's much, much more than that. You see, it's about, at the core of what Christianity is, is what Jesus taught about himself. That he is life. That he is God. Jesus says, believe in me, in my identity mission. And we don't have to blindly believe in Jesus, do we? Because that's not what faith is. You can believe in the strength of the evidence for Christianity. Because it wasn't just the people back then who had witnesses, who uh, had evidence to believe. We do too. 
We have records, of historical records of Jesus. We have, as Jesus said in verse 28, you know, he said he would command the dead back to life. He did uh, to Lazarus later on, we'll see in John 11. But more than that, Jesus died and he rose again. And there's ample evidence for resurrection. Believe in that resurrection. We too have witnesses. John the Baptist is a witness. John the Evangelist, the one who wrote this gospel, is a witness. We have people who, disciples, who testified to Jesus, uh, Jesus' identity, and who died for their faith. We have their testimonies. We have testimonies of the people here in this room. People whose lives are being transformed, whose prayers are being answered, who sense God's guidance and power in their life in transforming them. And we also have testimonies of the scripture. And we have all these resources about the scriptures that you can go and investigate. Find out who Jesus is. Friends, if you're not yet a Christian here, could I ask that you start exploring, that you, you're not like this man who was healed, who, who found it not curious at all to find out about Jesus. Friends, we have evidence here. Come and explore. Come and talk to us. We'd love to help you to do this. And if you are a Christian, I want you to know that you can be confident about your faith. God has done this. Scripture testifies and there are witnesses to the identity of Jesus. We can be confident in what we believe. But I think more importantly and more rightly, this passage really is about how we have to get off our judgment seat of judging God and humbly submit to him. Well, you might think, how, how do I judge? How do I judge God? Well, our culture does it. We are in a culture that thinks that we should be in the judgment seat judging God. For example, uh, if you read past theology, uh, for example, like St. Anselm, Anselm of Canterbury, who wrote of the theology of the cross. He wrote uh, what's called atonement theory over the cross. He really thought about what does the cross mean. And his starting point was this. His starting point was, how is it that God, who is holy and just, can forgive us? How is it that God can just let things go? That was the starting point. But you know what our starting point is? We take that for granted. We think, well, God should forgive us. God should be merciful. God should let things go. But then how is it that God can judge? That's our question, isn't it? If God is on the dock and we, we say, God, you shouldn't judge like that. You shouldn't send anyone to hell. You shouldn't say anything is bad. You should just love everybody. That is our attitude. What's the posture? How about this? Have you ever heard people say, I can't worship a God who does blank Fill in the blank. I can't worship God, uh, a God who allows babies to die, allows this war to go on. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. I would have done it differently. So God must be bad or God must not exist. Aren't we judging God when we do that? And how small is that God that if we can't understand God, we say God must not exist? How about this? We judge God's ethical standards too. I can't love a God who says homosexuality, homosexual relationship is bad. I, I, can't, I can't worship God who, who's so outdated in his views about sex. Uh, we pick and choose 
the passages that we submit to in the Bible too. Friends, if we do that, we're judging God. We're saying, God, you should agree with me because I know better than you. Will you take a fresh look at Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath, Lord of life and death, judge of all, one to whom every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. When we see Jesus rightly, that's the only conclusion that we can arrive, that we will bow the knee and worship in submission to him. That is who he is. And I know it's painful to admit something like this, right? That we are small, that we don't know everything, that we are sinners in need of a repentance, and that's humbling. But if Jesus is the Son of God, that is the only right posture to who Jesus is. And in the closing remark of chapter 5, Jesus surprises. He says something shocking to the Jewish leaders in verse 45. He says, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Jewish leaders trusted in Moses and Moses' law, the law that God has given through Moses. And there's some evidence that some Israelites believe that Moses interceded for them on their behalf in heaven, up there before God. And Jesus says, Moses will not be their defense lawyer. And Moses will be their prosecutor. Moses will say, I wrote of the Messiah who was to come. I pointed you to Jesus, the salvation that can only be had through grace, through sacrifice, something dying for you, and you did not believe me. And of course, that is what Jesus is offering the world. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from life, from death to life. Why is it that only thing that we need to do is to believe in God the Father, believe in the words of Jesus? Why is it that our obedience, our our perfect life is no longer necessary, required for us to be saved? Well, it's because that righteous judge, the one to whom all will bow, came down, stood in the dock on our behalf, was tried and found guilty, and was sentenced to death. And that judge says, after rising again, come, come to me. I have paid for your sins. Believe in me. Let me pay for you. For your sins, he invites us to come and believe in him. But coming to him, of course, means admitting that we are soiled, that we are spiritually sick, either by our own sin or self-righteousness that has crept in. Friends, will you bow the knee to Jesus? Will you ask him to come and heal you? Let's pray.
Lord, we confess of our sin of having such a small view of your son, Jesus. Jesus, our friend, Jesus, our uncle, Jesus, who should just love everyone as they are. And Lord, we thank you that you do love us just as we are. But we thank you that you are also holy, that you are righteous. And we thank you for your grace and mercy um, that allows us to come uh, to relationship with you, to come to have eternal life in you just by believing in your Son. Lord, we pray now that by the power of your Spirit that you would dispel the smallness of our vision of who you are, who your Son is. And Lord, would you flood our minds with greatness of Jesus. Help us to behold who you are your goodness, your love, your grace and mercy, your righteousness and your holiness, that we all would fall down on our knees in humble submission to the Lordship of Jesus, that we would worship you with our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.